My working title for this sermon is Heaven and All That. And I didn't actually go beyond draft one of the title because it's really difficult, isn't it, to sum up exactly what the theme should be when we're looking at the subject of heaven and eternal life. And I just wanted to start with a a challenge, well, with a question, really. Can you remember the first time that you thought about heaven and all that? When it actually kind of impacted you and you thought about what was going to happen beyond this life? For me, it was when I was on a sleepover and I was about 10 and I was with my friend Catherine Bangs. That's a name to be dallied with, isn't it, bless her? I think she's probably married now. But anyway, at that sleepover, she was scared because she was talking about she didn't know what would happen when she died. To be perfectly honest, I perhaps wasn't a very good person to ask the question of because I'd been brought up, my family were Christian, and I'd been brought up with the Christian belief that I'd always known that heaven existed. I'm sure that I had other issues that perhaps I had challenges about, but heaven really wasn't one of them. And I just kind of stated what I believed. And maybe it was a good thing for her, but I stated what I believed and what I was sure of, that there was heaven. I knew that Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me in John 14, 6. And I knew that he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You see, I'd got quite a simple faith, relying on the promises of God. But my friend didn't go to church, but obviously hadn't really heard about heaven. And I guess really to a degree throughout my life that hasn't really changed. Many people would call me simple. But what I mean is I just... I read it in the Bible, and unless I've got any other reason to doubt it, I believe the promises of God. And to a degree, my knowledge and my understanding of of heaven hasn't really moved from that unshattering belief that there is more than this life here on earth. But other people perhaps would challenge that and would say, why should I be so confident about this? Can anyone really know what heaven is and what the afterlife is like? And why should I really believe that heaven exists at all? You see, this has been a challenge and a question that has faced people throughout the ages. There have been some very interesting approaches to prove the existence of an afterlife. A few centuries ago, they tried to do a weighing experiment. To weigh a body before a person died and weigh a body after the person died to see if the soul had left the body. I'd imagine you'd been rather, perhaps, concerned if somebody approached with the weighing scales in those days, but, but basically it couldn't prove. The experiment failed because the soul is not material, it's not physical, it is spiritual. So even the most delicate of scales that I'm sure weren't actually around in those days would not have been able to weigh a disappearing soul. It's like trying to weigh the Holy Spirit. And you see, that's part of the problem with this subject. We're talking of spirit or soul that we can't touch, weigh or measure. 
we're discussing whether or not that invisible entity is then transported in death to heaven. And this really cannot be proved by science because science, whether people want to believe it or not, is limited. However, there are many people with experiences and many things in the Bible that will help us perhaps to understand something of heaven and life after death. I just offer to you my experience as a measure of proof. I've seen more than one person die and have seen dead people. That's part of the role of a minister. And I can say categorically that is a real visible difference between somebody who is alive and somebody who is dead. It is clear when their soul and spirit are no longer in their body. Because they look almost like a model of themselves, they become certainly, yes, less than fully human. They're left, if you like, I can only describe it, like a shell. And this really is perhaps some of the way in which we hear about in 1 Corinthians 15, some of the understanding about the the earthly body and the heavenly body. And I'm going to ask, I think it's Colin, isn't it, to read to us quite a long reading. So as patient as the children earlier were with the first reading from Badger's Parting Gifts, perhaps hear something from 1 Corinthians about heavenly and earthly bodies. The reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 58, and is entitled, The Resurrection Body. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. 
As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Thank you, Colin. There's a tremendous amount in that reading, isn't there? And there's just so much that you could unpack and unpick, but I'm not going to. I'm going to, this morning, give you five simple reasons why to believe in heaven and all that. The first reason is that people of every culture and every era have believed in heaven. Maybe this is a manifestation of Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. God has placed eternity in the human heart. Okay, you may say that in itself is not proof of heaven, but it does point to a divinely infused awareness of realities beyond the everyday here and now. Humans throughout the ages have a real God-given sense of being made for something more. Many of our longings in life cannot be fulfilled here and now. C.S. Lewis, the theologian, said, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an, inf an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Still, even in the middle of the compromise, we sense that the holiday offer is available, beckoning us to the soul level. That's just here on earth, but also in heaven. So the first reason of the five, people of every culture and every era have believed in heaven. Reason number two, near-death experiences. People who perhaps have even been to heaven and come back. I don't know if you've ever heard of such near-death experiences. It probably, statistically, there may even be somebody in this church who's had such an experience. 
But I'm going to read to you from that lady, the Eagles book lady. I'm not going to read this every week, okay? But she's coming to E2 next um, in May. But she actually had um, an experience after she died on the operating table. She was having an operation for cancer, a traumatic operation. But the most traumatic operation, part of the operation, was that the surgeon severed a main artery by mistake. So I catch up on her story, just a short extract about her encounter with God at this point. However, they had to take me back to theatre, and it was there that they discovered a large abscess had burst and poison was oozing around my body. So if it hadn't been for this artery actually being burst, being broken, then they wouldn't have discovered that. Without the ruptured artery, I would have died anyway. God as my divine eagle, theme of the book, had everything in control. It was while in theatre that I actually died and went to heaven. I guess that the divine eagle swooped down and bore me up on his wings so high he stopped off in heaven. What is heaven like? It was the most beautiful place I'd ever been to or seen. I came home where I had always been destined to go to. The Bible says in Philippians 3.20, our homeland is in heaven. Unlike some people, I did not actually see Jesus, but his presence was so real everywhere he was with me. I walked with him and together we had a oneness of fellowship all the time that I could never have imagined possible. The colours in heaven were so vibrant and the blues more blue, the greens more green, the flowers more exotic and the trees so perfect as the light exploded through them. I noticed the long lush grass bent down as I walked on it and yet as I looked behind me each individual braid blade sprang back to life. I gazed at the trees. There were so many leaves, each one with its own life, dancing, singing and moving in harmonious praise to him. It was home, wonderful, perfect and peaceful beyond anything I could ever have dreamed. Then the spirit of the father spoke to me. I'm sending you back. I have work for you to do. She didn't actually want to come back. You may, however, argue that near-death experiences don't prove existence of heaven. It could be an hallucination. But I think it's true that these experiences can't be ignored and they may well play an important role in establishing at least support for evidence of heaven for life after death. Reason number three ultimate justice. There is something to be said for the cry of the human heart for ultimate justice. There is herent in the common complaint that a loving, powerful God would have to do something at some point for justice, if in not this world, in the next. And we read in the Bible that Jesus said the day of judgment is coming, and did he lie? Reason number four. Do we actually feel entirely at home here? Or is there in your own heart a belief of a future heavenly home? 
C.S. Lewis again said, if you really are a product of a materialistic universe, how come you don't feel completely at home here? I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation of that is that I was made for another world. Reason number one, people of every culture and era have believed in heaven. Reason number two, near-death experiences. Reason number three, ultimate justice. Number four, a desire to go ultimately to that heavenly home. And reason number five, the answer, Jesus. Jesus is always the reason in a sermon. And he did have so much to say about heaven and all that, and so little time to say it. One of his contributions on this subject will be read, I believe, by Andy Cam. And it's from John 14, 1 to 7. It talks about heaven being God's promise to us. And he doesn't break his promises. Yeah, the reading is John chapter 14, verses 1 to 7. And it starts with Jesus speaking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it, if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Thank you, Andy, for that reading. Something that Jesus had to say. Reason number five, then, that Jesus said that there is heaven. And he said a tremendous amount about all that. He said... I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me in John 6:38. He also said, what promises await you when people hate you and ex- exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the son of man. When that happens, be happy and leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. Luke 6:22. Truly I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, it says in Matthew 18. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And then he goes on to talk about eternal fire and eternal hell. And finally, he concludes with this. And I hadn't really noticed this little bit of that passage before. It's about children. I tell you, 
that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Because the way in which that really prioritizes children, I will give the last word to a child. Alex Malachy, aged six. Well, he was aged six in 2004 when he had a very, very serious car accident. His dad was driving and he had a really severe neck injury, um, Alex, during this um, car crash. And the doctors were very, very surprised that he actually lived to get even as far as hospital. This was indeed a miraculous recovery. He's now aged 14. Let me read from what he wrote a few years later with his dad as they wrote, you can borrow this by the way, it's just a tremendous book, what he said as he and his dad wrote about their experiences and he wrote about his experience of actually meeting with God. The firemen cut my seatbelt off because it was jammed. They put something in my throat to make me breathe. While I was on the stretcher, they told me to be strong. They said that I was hurt badly and that I was going to hospital. They said that I was a tough boy. I went through a long white tunnel that was very bright. I didn't like the music in the tunnel. It was really bad music played on instruments with really long strings. But then I got to heaven. And there was powerful music. And I loved it. When I arrived in heaven, the same five angels who had helped Daddy out of the car were there. They comforted me. Daddy was in heaven too. The angels stayed with me so Daddy could be alone with God. Daddy had bad injuries like mine, but God was healing him in heaven to bring glory to himself. That's what God told me later. Daddy asked God if I could trade places, if he could trade places with me, but God said no. God said he would heal me later on earth to bring more glory to his name. After God said no to Daddy, Daddy's spirit returned to his body next to the smash car. I could see Daddy from heaven lying in the ditch next to our car. And then sometime later he talks about his experience in heaven. Heaven is not the next world. It is now. Heaven is not up in the sky, it's everywhere and nowhere. Heaven is a place that is not a place. It's eternal. All other places end. Heaven is a time with no past, present or future. It's always now. When I was in the car, I tried to move my legs. I realised that they could not move. I went through a light and heard music. Then I was in the presence of God. He had a body that was like a human body, but it was a body, but it's a lot bigger. I could only see up to his neck because, like the Bible says, nobody is allowed to see God's face or that person will die. He had a white robe that was very bright, and I looked down at my legs and I could move them again. Even right now, as I tell you this, I feel in my heart just like I did when it happened. Everything was perfect. 
When I went to heaven, I arrived at the inside of the gate. I was with heavenly beings, but the other people who came to heaven were all on the outside of the gate. The gate is really tall and it's white. It is very shiny and it looks like the scales like a fish. I think of things on the outside of the gate as an outer heaven. I was in the inner heaven and everything is bright and more intense on the inside of the gate. There is a hole in the outer heaven. That hole goes to hell. Later, my daddy asked me to tell him about the other differences between the inside and the outside of the gate. But I had to tell him I'm not allowed to share some things. God told me not to. I don't know why. It's just what he said. I asked my daddy if he was mad about this, but he just hugged me and told me that obeying God is more important than anything else. But I can say that inside the gate is the place God has prepared for me. It's brighter and more colourful. It is impossible to describe. It's glorious. The outside of the gates is like a waiting room. Things don't move on the outside like they do on the inside. They move, but it's not the same. I can't describe it. The other man who spent time in heaven is right. The music is beautiful. He said it was like many songs at the same time, but sounding like one song. I didn't think it was a bunch of songs at the same time, just very intense. It's beautiful. I really like the harps inside the gates. The music is nothing like the music here. It's perfect. Perfect is my favorite word for describing heaven. Should we just pray? We thank you, Lord, for your perfect love. We thank you for your perfect promises for us. And we thank you for your promise of heaven and your promise of eternal life here and now. Help us not just to exist, but to really, truly live with you now and also to hold on to your promise that human testimony gives glimpses of of a wonderful perfect heaven in the future we give you praise that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and we just need to walk with him to find your path to that perfection In his name we pray.